Still to come this hour, new survey out about how long it is taking us to go see a doctor and why, because we still don't want to go. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> we, and it's getting longer and longer uh, the time that it takes for us to go. Uh, but we have many on you, of you on hold. Uh, still wanting to get in about a conversation that started about a book ban hearing. Yeah, and uh, it all comes down to, you, you know, who should have the ability? Should your kids have the ability to go to a school library and and read whatever? Uh, or, you know, who is it that gets to make the decision about what's appropriate and at what age level? So with that said, we'll go back to the phones and bring in Debbie in Kansas City. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Um, first, I have two or three little points to make. But first, the second guy with a rapid onset gender dysphoria, that's nonsense. I'm the parent of a trans teen. The reason that more kids are questioning gender is because we as a society have some really dumb rules around gender. I think we can all agree to that. And kids today are brave enough to kind of challenge some of those. But also, um, I think, Jamie, you were an educator before. Um, so you know the concept of windows and mirrors. And in yeah. education. And it's really important for young people to be able to see stories and, and concepts that reflect themselves as well as reflect others around them. So they see themselves in a mirror. They also see a window into the life of someone different. It's, we do that in every component of education. And the, the parents and the senators and people who object to this kind of thing are afraid of either seeing a window into someone else's world where they have to be compassionate to someone that they would like to be super judgmental about, or because maybe they're afraid of what that mirror might reflect back at them. And um, one, one great way to, to kind of look at that is, um, you know, Pornhub puts out the top search uh, topics in different states. And it's fascinating to look at that map because the most conservative states where the most conservative representatives and, and the pushback against things like library books and accessibility come from have the kinkiest search results. <laughs> like those people are trying to hold things back because they don't want to admit to things that they might be thinking for themselves. And um, I really think that's what it comes to. It's, it's control. It's fear of, like the first caller said so brilliantly, um, it's fear of having to have conversations that make them uncomfortable. It's fear of um, thinking about people who are different and having to learn something outside their, their own life experience. But that is exactly the kind of thing that makes us all better people and better as a society. And that's what we should all want for our kids. I, I don't disagree with you at all, Debbie. And and mm -hmm. I would say, you know, there's there's nothing. Well, thanks, Debbie, for the call. I, I'm trying to figure out a way to put this that. Um, if that's who you are and that's who you want to be and, you know, you don't want to talk about that stuff out loud and it makes you uncomfortable and all that, that's fine. Don't take it away from everybody else. That's It's not yours. Right. What, what everybody else's kids do doesn't belong to you. All right, let's keep rolling here. Uh, Maddie is next up out of Topeka. Oh, hey, uh, Maddie. Uh, Maddie, unfortunately, left us, so we've got AA okay. running. Oh, and that's not him. He's over there. Hi, AA Ron. How's it going? Hey, you guys. Long time no talk to you. Same, same. Um, so, um, I'm guessing that that caller that was very uh, animated or, you know, uh, I don't know how to say it, expressive about, you know, wanting, you know, follow through with these book bans and whatnot has never heard of the Internet. And they're surely dialed up on a rotary phone, and his kid probably carries a rotary phone around with him uh, or her. And um, then it, it just baffles me. If you're going to start banning explicit books – you're going to have to start with 
one of their favorites, the Bible. Yeah. The Bible is the most graphic, explicit book there is. And just because you like it doesn't mean other people like it. I don't care what religion people are or what they want to do. But if you're gonna if you're gonna start banning things, your things are gonna get banned that you don't like too. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it should be. Just because you like something doesn't mean I have to, or you don't like something doesn't mean I have to. That's why we have freedoms. It's freedom of religion and from religion. So you get to make choices. I get to make choices. They don't have to be the same. Move on with your life, people. Find better things to complain about. Have a good day. You got it. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, another thing to consider in all of this is that, you know, we're talking about school libraries here. Mm-hmm. Are these very same folks, because, uh, you know, are, are they going to, if, if their kid came home from school one day and said, I've got some studying to do, I'm going to go off to the public library down the street, would you stop yeah. them? Because I can guarantee you those books are there. Ooh, the plot thickens. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Every bookstore, every <clears throat> every library, every everything. And, I mean, I guess if you're that afraid of it, you could keep your kids out of the public library. But then I think, you know, and I'm sure we're going to hear from the public librarians, as we have in the past when this kind of thing has come up on the text line, who will say, oh, don't, don't think for a minute that this fight's not going on here, too. Yeah, I'll bet it is. All right, next up, Joe called us from Grantville. Hey, Joe. Hey, how y'all doing today? Doing good, Joe. What's on your mind? So, I what I have not heard of this kind of a system yet. But why is there not a system to rate the different books for different age levels, like they do for movies? You know, you you have a young child. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and you know, if there's a kind of book that, you know, I want, you know, or I want to get them books, I should be able to go online or whatever and type in, you know, children's books rated G or PG or PG-13 or whatever. I think that would make it a lot easier for uh, parents to kind of want to shelter their children, if that's, you know, if that's the right way to say it. But also as far as in school, um for the curriculum for the teachers, um, they should, if they don't already, allow a list to be made of the books that they're wanting to put into their curriculum and allow the parents to, you know, check yes or no on what their kid is allowed to read at school, and they can have some sort of control there. I think the biggest issue is, though, that a lot of the younger generation of my age, 35, with young kids, uh, are almost scared to try to answer some of the questions because even we don't know the answers to a lot of stuff. And I think that scares a lot of young parents having their kids come home from school with a question that the parent doesn't fully understand the answer or how to answer comfortably. You know, it's just, I think it's a bigger issue than just a book. I I think it, it gives more... You know, I think it goes deeper than that. I, I, w- I want to take issue for just a second with the word comfortably because yeah. you're not guaranteed comfort. Oh, no. Having kids? Oh, my God. The second you have a kid, your, your comfortability is yeah. gone. I, I'm aware. Honestly, we had four of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm trying to uh, speak for the group that still has uncomfortable feelings trying to answer questions. I mean, my son or daughter comes to me with any kind of question. My wife and I, I mean, we might say, 
Uh, I don't know the answer to that yet. Uh, let me yeah. do some reading on it, and we'll get back to you. Or Absolutely. we'll go to the bedroom and say, how do you want to handle this? You know, And we'll work as a team and try to come together and, and figure out the best way to answer it. You got it. All right, well yeah. done. Joe, thank you. Thanks for the call. And let me just, I, I cringe when somebody says, um, hey, teachers, give parents a list of books that you are considering teaching this year. You tell us what you're okay with and what you're not. Um, you can't, it, it's not health class. You can't, it, and you know, in health class, if you don't want your kids to learn about a certain thing, you can pull them out for a day. I don't like parent sourcing, so to speak, what kids are going to learn in a class. Number one, it's, it would be impossible. You, you would be, you'd have three books that you'd be teaching all the time. Yeah, and, and as far as a rating system, I think where you're going to run into trouble with that is we're talking about public schools. Um, it, you know, the movies are a private industry, and that vo- that uh, rating system that they use is voluntary. They, they don't, they're not bound to put a rating on a movie. In fact, there's a lot of movies that are released without a rating. But uh, when you talk about a public entity like that coming up with a, a system for G, PG, PG-13, RX, NC-17, whatever, you're going to run into trouble because the, nobody's going to be able to agree on what the rules are. And right. even even the committee that comes up with the, the movie ratings, the uh, MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, uh, for the longest time, they never gave any guidelines whatsoever. They would come out with a rating and then send the movie back and say, it got this rating. And the movie makers would say, why? And they'd say, because it did. (laughs) So, uh, you know, there were a lot of changes that were made to that system, too. But who do you trust enough to tell you what's safe for your kid? The only answer to that is you. Yes. All right. We have still callers on hold. Um, We'll get to as many as we can here. We'll probably move on here um, before we get to the next break, but we'll keep going. I don't know who's who's next on your screen, John. But. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't know where you were going. Let's go to Jonathan in Kansas City. Hey, Jonathan. How are you doing? All right. So, you know, this obviously, I think there's a, a large element of politics in this whole issue, you know, because it's become a political issue. Um, I will say, uh, you know, I'm a conservative Christian, you know, uh, right wing Republican. But even though, even though I am that way. I see. I'm generally in favor of banning, um, you know, banning speech, which banning books is doing, banning speech in libraries, whether it's a school library or a public library or, you know, banning it on the Internet, which people have made a point like if they don't get it at the school library, they're going to get it at the public library or the Internet. The thing I think is a bigger issue is teaching things in a in a classroom because the, the kids don't have an opportunity to be like, well, you know, I, I, I don't have to go to class. You are you are mandated by law to go to class. Nobody is mandating that, hey, just because there's a book in the library that may be controversial, you have to see that book. I, I just think it's wrong when people on the right say we should ban thought. I think it's wrong when people on the left do it, when they're like, hey, we should ban 1984. It's like, no, like which 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 the whole book warns about the danger of doing. And people on the left do that, and it's just as wrong. I think, you know what, let the, let the thought go out there, and if you have such a problem with it, then engage in a debate and, you know, like we have in our republic and say, listen, here's why I think the thoughts in that book are nonsense and have an actual, an actual political debate instead of shutting down the debate. Yep. Whether you're left or right, you should be willing to do that. Absolutely, yeah. If you, mm-hmm. can't, if you, if you can't face the debate, you don't belong there. <laughs> so, yeah. all right, hey, uh, well said. Thank you. Uh, let's see, yeah, we got a little bit of room. Let's wind it up with Daryl and Olathe up next. Hey, Daryl. 
Uh, hi, guys. Important discussion. You're going to disagree with me dramatically, so just fair warning. Um, five-year-olds can't debate this stuff. Parents can. The earlier caller said something about windows and mirrors. We can't let the actual facts uh, end up being confusing everybody with smoke and mirrors. There is not a single proposal. I've read almost all of them. I can't claim I've read them all. That actually talks about banning books. We're talking about age-appropriate material. We as a society everywhere have age-appropriate issues, drinking, smoking, gambling, yes, movies, whatever. We're just talking about, and some people are saying, you know, some things may be appropriate for high school kids and college kids and maybe at a public library, but not in a grade school uh, setting. So let's keep in mind book banning is a pejorative term made up by the far left. They're just talking about age-appropriate material. Otherwise, why don't we put Playboys and Hustlers and all kinds of magazines and anything that sky's the limit in grade school libraries? Who decides what's age-appropriate? We as a society do. You may agree, and I might, but we get together, we have discussions and debates, and usually we hopefully come to some sort of compromise as all legis- every all legislation, all laws are a series of compromises between a left and a right. No, but I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking specifically about words. I'm talking about words on a page. Who decides what's appropriate and what isn't? Well, that's why we have uh, legislatures and school boards and elected people decide what is. Otherwise, there's nothing that's not age appropriate. We have people who've decided you have to be 16 to drive a car. You have to be 21 to drink an alcoholic beverage. Those are health. Those say, are those are health issues. Smoking and drinking can kill you. Reading can't. Yeah, gambling, gambling. I don't like gambling. Can't kill you. Either. You can't gamble. You can't gamble until you're a certain age. We as a society, I'm just saying simply, we as a society, I think, should always have an open discussion like this, hear from both sides, and come. And it's always about trying to find consensus in the middle. Not saying the left is absolutely right. Not saying the right is always right. But all legislation and rules are a society coming together and saying, this is our best idea. But let's see if it works. And if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. All right. But to suggest that there's not age-appropriate material for certain kids is, to me, outrageous. For certain kids, not all of them. Daryl, thank you for the call. And, and that's where I would heartily disagree, is that when we're talking about words on a page, those are constitutionally protected. Gambling is not constitutionally protected. Neither is smoking or drinking. None of those things have that protection that language does. And if you're going to tell me the Constitution is age-appropriate, I'm going to disagree with you until the day that I die. Thank you for the call. I'll also take issue a little bit with, um, again, the idea that every that parents or that everybody should have a say in everything that happens in a school district. You have a superintendent, you have principals, you have a school board that you elect. It, it can't always be parent sourced. At some point, um, just because a book is in a library doesn't mean your kid is going to read it and you're the parent. Talk to your kid then about what they, what they can read and what they can't. And if they bring it home, have a conversation about it. We're gonna leave it at that. We spent quite a bit of time on this. Thanks for everybody for getting in. We'll take a break. Coming up, we'll switch gears. Voice is going again. How long has it been since you have been to a doctor? And what's keeping you from going? New study to get to coming up next here on KMBZ. New study comes to us out of one poll that has some pretty scary figures in it about how seldom we are going to the doctor. Um, and a couple things I want to focus on. It's about 4 in 10 people aged 26 to 54 who admit to not going to the doctor in the last five years at all. 
Five years. I'm trying uh-huh. to remember uh, uh, how how long is the longest time I ever spent never seeing a single doctor. And I can guarantee you it is nowhere near five years, even as much as I, I will often admit to the fact that I being a dude, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. there, there are times when I probably should go and I don't because I have that. Oh, I'll be fine. But uh, yeah, I, I I've never gone anywhere near five years. Uh, the survey does not break this out on gender. I wish it did because I'm going to guess mm-hmm. that um, that five-year thing. So I'm going to guess if this is all pulled together, men and women, we go every year. I mean, most women. <laughs> kind of, yeah, have age, to, right? Yeah, over the age of 18, sometimes younger, go every year. We're supposed to. So I assume, because we go every year, I assume that means a lot of men age 26 to 54, it has been longer than five years yeah, since they I, have gone. This 38% of people 26 to 34 and 39% of 35 to 54-year-olds. How are you between the ages of 35 and 54 not going to a doctor for five years? What, what, what charmed life are you living that allows you to go that long without ever seeing a doctor's office? Wow. The reasons for this are not new. The same reasons we've talked about. Um, Again, it was 2,000 Americans. Uh, The biggest was uh, the fear of being able to afford their care as being the top reason. Okay, that I can buy. Yeah. And that's become a bigger reason as the economy's gotten tougher and that kind of thing. Other reasons include anxiety about uh, potential procedures or tests, fear of getting bad news or a serious diagnosis. And I think that's bigger than what this survey indicates. And exhaustion from parenting or caretaking. Mm Mm-hmm. We also have a dramatic increase in the number of people that are concerned they can't afford their treatment. Huge. Last year it was six. Uh, last year it was forty-four percent. Now it's sixty-six percent. Wow. So a dramatic increase. Um, it is becoming less and less affordable. That's that's a hundred percent true. But I want to talk a little bit about the anxiety for just a minute, mm-hmm. because the the anxiety about getting a bad diagnosis. I think we can all understand that. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to to find out, yes, the thing that you have is not only as serious as you thought it was. In fact, it's more serious, and you might not live through this. Yeah. But not hearing the news doesn't change the outcome. In fact, it usually brings it on quickly, uh, more quickly than it would have if you don't hear it. But I, I, when, it, when they talk about the anxiety behind the treatment, that's where I wonder, how many people do you think as adults – and I, I ask this because I honestly have no idea. I'm, I'm not trying to make a point here. I'm just really wondering out loud. How many people as adults do you think really still deathly are afraid of needles? Many. Of getting a shot, have, of getting yeah. blood drawn, of getting whatever. I think a lot. Um, uh, yeah, I don't have a figure for you. I don't, I don't have a figure for you. And if you are in that group, feel free to let us. If, if fear of needles keeps you from going to the doctor... Let's talk about that. Yeah, because I and I'm not picking on you. I'm just I'm you really because I don't I, I will admit I don't like them when I have blood drawn. My mm-hmm. only thing is and I just had this done a couple of days ago, as a matter of fact, uh, my only thing is I don't want to see it. I, I'm, I'm fine with the, the pain or whatever of the needle going in. That doesn't bother me. I just don't want to look at it. Um, even getting shots. I generally don't look, but mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to get them the way that I was when I was six. Gosh, you look, look at the text line right now. Um. I donate blood on a regular basis, uh-huh. and I, I'm same thing. I don't like needles, although I was a really sick kid, and so I uh, had needles a lot when I was a kid. But again, I just turn my head. 
Yeah. In fact, I mean, not just turn my head, but like physically turn my body to the opposite direction so that I don't have to see any of that going on and on there, my arm. There are some things I know we got to get to a break here, but I, they, you know, there are some things that hurt worse than others. Like getting a tetanus shot. I mean, oh. come on, you barely feel it. There's nothing. And, and then. Oh, I thought you were going to say my tetanus shot hurt. Oh, really? Uh, like my whole arm was sore. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. See, yeah. last last one I got, which, again, was not that long ago, it was fine. Um, but but there are some that, that really do hurt. And I'll never forget, we uh, we were at summer camp one time when I was a kid. And one of the kids at summer camp had hepatitis. So we all had to get shots. We all had to mm-hmm. get the, the you know, vaccine for it um, when it turned out that he wasn't just, you know, feeling bad. And I remember that, I mean, they had the kids lined up on one side of the main house on, on the campground. And then on the other side is where the kids would come out. And that line, I mean, the kids coming out were all just in tears, tears rolling mm-hmm. down their face. And let me tell you, that didn't do a whole lot for us that we're still waiting in line to go get the shot. Everybody wanted to be first, you know, not last. I mean, a lot of us remember how bad we felt after the COVID vaccine. Yeah, sure. First came out. I mean, how bad that was. How long has it been? What's keeping you from going? 913-586-7798. We have to get to a break. Get to your calls next year on KMBZ. New study tells us, It's a little fewer than four in 10 people ages 25 to 54 that haven't seen a doctor in five years. Uh, And there are a lot of reasons in that. One of the things that we're asking about is, because one of the reasons it comes up is the anxiety about the procedure. We talked about the fear of needles. I also think about things that like procedures that are not comfortable. Mammogram is not the happiest (laughs) thing I've ever done in my life. You guys have your, your own things. I wonder if people avoid that Although, I mean, the, the prep for that also is, and, and we have ours too. I wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, the colonoscopy is one thing. But like you said, I mean, you're out for that. Uh, prostate exam, nobody nobody's looking forward to those. Let's go to uh, let's go to Jim in Topeka and find out what he's got going on. Hey, Jim. Yes, I think the longest I went was well over 10 years. I have a real problem with doctors, and I'm sorry if they're going to take offense to this. But one of the reasons that they call it practice in medicine is some of them need more practice than others. <laughs> and the success in treatment and the rest of it, I've had just as much success in throwing a virgin off a cliff as I have getting cured over some of the things that they've done to and for me. So when I've gone to them for help when I really needed it and didn't get it, it gives me a long, hard look before that I decide to trust another one. So uh, with all the modernization, all the technical advances, why haven't we gotten any farther along in some of this stuff? So take care, my friend. You got it. Uh, Jim, I uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you just need to, to find a better doctor, and it does take some effort. I mean, it really does. You can't just go looking through and say, oh, my PPO covers this guy. But see, now I'm just thinking about how many virgins Jim's thrown off cliffs over time. <laughs> and frankly, I'm a little frightened. Okay, let's move on. Um, Dina, next up out of KC. Hi, Dina. Hey, Dina. Hey, guys. Good to hear from y'all. Same, same. I haven't called in a while. I have had one heck of a new year, if you know what I mean. Uh, Yeah, sorry about that. last year. I caught an abscess on my liver because my gallbladder went south. Had to deal with that. Then I had my gallbladder removed. They had to open me up instead of laparoscopically. And so I just, I get tired of needles, especially the IVs, because I'm a hard stick and I have small veins. Yeah. 
So it's, it's so it's a problem for you. It's not just that you're frightened of them. It, it, they have to stick you two or three times to get yeah, it right. Yeah, in the hospital, they have to put a pick line in my arm because they can't draw blood otherwise. Yeah. Or other things. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, so unfortunately, staying away from the doctors is not an option for you. Not <laughs> for me, not All right. right now. Well, I wish you luck. I hope it gets better, Dina. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Uh, so the internet tells me that one in four adults is afraid of needles. I just... I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it either. But I also think, I mean, it's important that you get tests. It's important that you, I'd say, get over that a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, figure out a way through that. Yeah, and I, I think everybody's probably got their story of the worst procedure that they ever had to go through. But, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes... When you look at the alternative, like, what happens if I don't do this? If the answer is you're going to die, I'll suck it up and deal with the procedure. I'll be okay with that. Yeah, um, I'm not trying to pick on the texter because I appreciate you being honest about it. But we had a woman that texted and said, I'm a 49-year-old female, and I haven't been to a doctor in six years. Saying, I'm healthy, I have excellent insurance, I'm not afraid of doctors, I just haven't had a reason to go, so I just don't go. And I ask... You don't get a mammogram every year? I don't know what the guideline is. Mm-hmm. I know I'm there. I'm 44 and I know I'm there. And, I, and I've been doing it every year for a while. You're not getting a mammogram every year? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, t- tests like that. And I mean, they're easy to blow off. And I think that's, that's probably part of it. And again, I'm not picking on anybody. I've done the same thing. Uh, but they are. You know, you think, okay, well, it's just diagnostic. It's not, there's nothing wrong with me. I feel fine. Why am I going to go looking for trouble where it isn't? And I know, I know, I know. I'm not justifying the mentality. I'm just saying it exists. Uh, here's, um, we'll get to your calls here in a sec, but I, I'm, again, I'm going to pick on men here for a second. And I'm going to pick on <laughs> the fear of what you are going to find out. And, and this is why I understand it, is that my dad was severely diabetic and worked for himself and did HVAC for a living. And diabetics have a really difficult time healing from infection. He got an inf- he got a sore on his foot. It became an infection. He didn't want to go to a doctor because he didn't want to miss work and didn't want to find out what he was going to find out. Fast forward a month, ended up having half of his foot amputated. Yeah. Because he didn't go soon enough. And it's, that's a circulation thing, right? With, yeah. with diabetes, it screws yep. up the circulation in the capillaries. Right. And then they can't, you can't heal from it. And yeah. he knew that but was afraid of what he was going to find out. Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what the situation was with Bob Marley because uh, I know that it, the he had an injury to his foot and he ended up dying of cancer that was, I think what happened was the injury actually masked it. So he had the injury treated or did, you know, did, just decided not to and figured, okay, I hurt my foot, no big deal. But it ended up that there was something that was right in that same area and it ended up killing him. So sometimes, yeah, better to get it looked at. Um, let's go to Hannah in Kansas City, see what she's got to add in. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Um, so I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis about, I guess it, now it's probably about two to three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the initial diagnosis, they do a number of tests, MRIs, um, you know, kind of asking what's been going on, what the symptoms are, things like that. And then one of the other tests they'll do is a spinal to get spinal fluid. And I remember being very fearful going into it. um, But, you know, this is what had to be done. So I'm going to do it. Uh, Get in there. And it's supposed to be like a 15 to a 30 minute procedure. It's not supposed to be a long procedure. 
this is going on. I, I was on the table for 45 minutes, almost maybe an hour to an hour and a half, and kept feeling the needle going in and out. And he kept saying, I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting anything. And then all of a sudden I would feel like my leg just jolt out Ooh. and, and feel jolts. And I, and I mean, and I'm trying to be pleasant <laughs> throughout mm-hmm. the entire ordeal. And I'm a very nervous person anyway. So I'm trying to be pleasant and da, 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 da. And so we go into an hour into this and he's like, I'm not getting anything. And he says, so you don't have spinal fluid. And I wow. just about lost it. Um, I was very upset and I, I've sworn, especially the first year and a half after that I would never get a spinal again. I was like, I just, I don't care if you can't diagnose it, then I won't get diagnosed. Yeah. I'll live with whatever. Um, but as time has gone on, like you said, John, I've uh, realized that it was that surgeon and I've even given the surgeon grace because everybody has bad days and I, mm-hmm. and I get that they are surgeons and it's life and death and it's in their hands, but they're still human. And so it's, it was a horrible experience, not taking anything away from the experience, but it's, um, it's one of those things where, like you said, I think John and Jamie, both of you said it, you can't allow one experience with one doctor to scare you from taking as good care of yourself as you can, if not for yourself, for your family, friends, coworkers, even people who depend upon you, um, because it's we're all human and we're all in this together. <laughs> I think I think yeah. that's yeah, that's very true. Can I ask you a question related to that? Because I'm curious about this. I had a friend who was diagnosed with the same thing years ago. What was your tip off? How did you know something was wrong? Um. So my mine they think that I have had it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, they do with her big, too. Yeah. So with my big tip off was I had kind of a numbing sensation on my face um, up around my forehead and down to my cheekbone, and um, and that was kind of because I had had numbing sensations other places, yeah. like on my upper thighs and things. Or I could still feel it, but it felt like it had just kind of been put to sleep, like you put just a generic, you know, something to make your skin go to sleep. Like Right, yeah, um, yeah, like a little numbs it so, or whatever. Yeah, and so my doctor found that out, and then I had had issues with heat my whole life and, and anxiety my whole life, and mm-hmm. she started kind of putting it together, and she said, let's get you in for an MRI. They got the MRI. It was conclusive that it was most likely MS. Then we went ahead and did the spinal tap, which was once again, yeah. <laughs> not a lot of fun. Um, but that was, yeah, the, the biggest tip off was the, the kind of the numbing sensation okay. in my face and other places. All right. H- Hannah, thank you. Yeah, it, it is because MS is one of those things that uh, hides as so many other things. Mm-hmm. And that's why people find out, yes, not only do you have MS, you've had it for 12 years now. You, with my friend, it was fatigue. She was just tired all the yeah. time, all of a sudden. And she was in her late 20s, so had no reason to be. And it turns out that that's what it was. She started having some of the other symptoms later. Let me throw this out there to you real fast. Four or five of you have said on the text line a reason that isn't coming in on this list, which is I don't want to be told that I'm overweight. I don't want to get the oh, lecture wow. about something I already know. But find, several of you have said, oh, don't tell me I'm fat. I will. I, and I will tell you 100 percent. Find a different doctor because uh, it's 
if I and I had this happen once, if you find a doctor that thinks you don't know, right. <laughs> you know, or, or right. th- th- thinks that lecturing you is going to do something about it, you need to find a different doctor. I am 100 percent with you on that. I would walk out the door. But there are doctors who will not. They'd be glad to talk to you about it if you want to talk to them about it, but they're never going to bring it up to you uh, because they assume you're not stupid. <laughs> yes. And, and you can read a scale and you know how you feel, too. Uh huh. All right. Um, let's see. We'll keep going. Bob in Overland Park. Hi, Bob. Hello. What's happening, Hi. Bob? Are, are we there? Yeah, we're yes. here. We're just waiting on you, Bob. Okay. Pitter patter. <laughs> hey, I love your show. Thank I, you. First time call in, though. I think um, so. I've got a couple of points. They tend to be oppose each other a little bit, but I think we live in amazing medical times, and and people need to take advantage of what's out there. Um, anytime they feel they have a need or, or something isn't quite right, uh, most of us have better lives today because of medical capabilities or are living longer. So that's the front side of it. The back side is I think we still treat symptoms rather than problems. And I, I'd like to see the medical community move forward with more of the holistic attitude and finding the real problems rather than treating symptoms. But that's my my whole sense of wisdom on the whole deal. Well said, Bob. We live in amazing times. All right. Well, I, hey, listen, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, be, I believe you're right about that. And don't be a stranger. I was your first call. Don't let it be your last. Um, What's I, the difference between uh, tweet, treating symptoms and treating problems? Oh, it, well, it, I mean, you know, pain can be a symptom of a zillion things. You can make people feel better from pain, but you're not treating Instead what's causing what? the pain. Okay. Problems is a very vague word to use. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's there's another thing that's not on the list that I wonder if it isn't contributing to some of this, because this is something I'm going through right now. Speaking of pain, uh, I have a, a really nasty pain in my shoulder that's been there for a few weeks now because uh, I'm an Alta cocker and that's what happens when you get this way. So uh, it, um, I finally got my doctor to agree to refer me to an orthopedist October 4th. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it takes a while yeah, so to be I able to get in. And I'm going to sit here with my shoulder throbbing for three more weeks. Okay, fantastic. You know, and I think that probably frustrates a lot of people. Frustrates me. But that time's going to go fast. And you're going <laughs> to hit that date and I think, oh, right. I could have been to the doctor by now. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't, and I'm still in pain. And I could have been in a doctor's office now. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I hope you're right. But in the meantime, yeah, if you're suffering and you find out, yeah, we can see in three and a half months. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot of people that are going to say, all right, that's it. I've had it with this. All right, we need to get to a break. We have callers on hold. Uh, we'll get to your calls to wrap the show next on KMBZ. What's keeping you from going to the doctor, and how do we get you to get over that? Got all kinds of folks we'll get to. Uh, there's a bunch coming in on the text line, and we'll talk to Jim in Holt up next. Hi, Jim. Hello. Yeah, Hi. I just wanted to give kind of the other side of this story. Sure. Because last, last July... Uh, I went in for my yearly physical and that little blood test, and they did the PSA test. It was a little bit elevated. Doctor mentioned it, so he brought me back in December. My PSA went up again. So all of a sudden, that kicked off the ball rolling, and July 20th, I found out I had prostate cancer. July 20th, I had my prostate removed, and uh, just last week, my doctor says I can say that I'm cancer-free and my PSA is non-detectable. Good for you. So, that uh, 
you know, that's the story of going out there and doing what you should do. Saved my life. You got it. Hey. I asked him, ask him how long I'd live if I hadn't had, you know, if I didn't do anything. He said two years. Wow. If that's I had a- no symptoms, I had, you know, if I'd have waited till I had symptoms, it'd have been too late. Yeah, that's a wake-up call and a half. Hey, Jim, you're you're 100% right, man. Thank you for keeping us on the straight and narrow. All right. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, that's um, a point that we're not talking about enough, I guess, is the stories of the people who caught things early, like who don't – none of us like to go. It's not fun for anybody, but – the stories of you went and they caught something that you otherwise wouldn't have seen. I'm, I'm glad he caught because there's something else I, I want to address about that. Uh, when he talked about his PSA level and that being the the kickoff to a bunch of different things. I just had a very good friend uh, go through almost exactly the same thing, but with the opposite prognosis. So his was he had the elevated PSA level and his doctor effectively told him you have prostate cancer. He didn't quite do wow. that, but but he was like, okay, your your PSA level is so high that there's really no other explanation for this. So we're going to start getting you ready for, you know, we'll do all the tests and confirm it and all of that stuff, but we want to start getting you ready for the kind of surgery that he had. Well, it turns out he didn't have prostate cancer. <laughs> and wow. his, yeah, his elevated prostate level was what they call BPH, benign prostate hyperplasia. And he's fine. They got it under control with drugs. He went to a different doctor, and the doctor said, no, 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 no. The biopsy did eventually come back negative, but he was responsible and smart enough to do what we always talk about doing and almost never do, which is get a second opinion. Yeah. I want to talk for a second about the cost because it's – and I I don't have answers to this, but several of you have said if if it's something major, if I need – chemotherapy if i need something other than a checkup i don't know what i'm going to do about that and i and and that breaks my heart because that's my dad was i mean my dad did not have health insurance and didn't know until shortly before he died that he could have gotten va benefits which i could rant about for an hour I, i could go off all day about that about the lack of communication to particularly vietnam veterans at that time um All I can say is investigate options. There might be options out there. Your doctor might have payment plans. There might, there, there might be options available. Don't let that keep you from at least getting the information. Absolutely. And and now with the advent of the internet, and I'm not talking about diagnosing, doctors, don't freak out. I'm no. not saying go self-diagnose on the internet, no. But what the internet does allow for is for those chat rooms to exist where, uh, you know, and, and message boards and things like that to exist where you can talk to other people who are in that same boat and they can tell you what they did. Sometimes those options are available. You don't know what they are until somebody tells you, hey, I had the same problem. Here's what I did and it worked out fine. Yes. It's funny. I'm hearing something on the air. My computer's playing something too. Okay. Thanks everybody for coming in and for uh, for getting in here. We appreciate it. We'll turn this over to Dana and Parks and be back tomorrow here on KMBZ.